Hey everybody, so I'm Howie. As Braden said, um, I work at the Open Philanthropy Project. We are a new foundation, and over the last um, couple of years, we've started to really get into funding policy philanthropy for the first time. Um, we're definitely really new to this work. Um, I spent some time working on our policy work. I actually have, as you can see on the title, moved on to mostly working on global catastrophic risks. Um, but I'm going to talk about some of the lessons that I learned, um, both from working on our criminal justice reform philanthropy um, before I switched to my new position, and also from my previous experience working on public policy. Um, so I spent some time doing economics research at a think tank in D.C., um, and have two-thirds of a law degree, um, at which point uh, the folks at GiveWell convinced me to uh, fly out here and do this work instead. Um, so I am lucky that um, my law school has a very generous academic leave policy. Um, so anyways... Um, Open philanthropy has a pretty unique take on philanthropy in that our attitude has always been we don't have you know one or two policy areas that we are passionate about. Um, Carrie and Dustin, our two funders, have always said that they are passionate about trying to figure out how to do the most good they can with the money that they are funding. Um, so this means that instead of starting out our policy philanthropy by looking at you know, whatever causes we're starting with, we start with a big cause selection process where we looked at causes that fit into a number of categories. So one of them was causes where we felt like there was a real window of opportunity. Um, and criminal justice reform, which is the cause I'm going to talk about the most, um, was sort of our archetypal example of that type of cause. Um, so it's an area where a lot of states have started to pass some reform bills. Um, it's an area where, I think in part because of the recession and state fiscal crises, um, you all of a sudden have a lot of consensus that change is needed. Um, so there was sort of a long-term liberal or um, in the U.S. sort of left-wing interest in prison reform. And over the last, um, you know, five, ten years, conservatives have become interested in criminal justice reform also. Um, and so um, that's both an opportunity um, where you can actually sort of learn a lot by seeing policy change as it happens. Um, it also might be a chance where you can really influence the direction of reform. So if you go into an area where policy is changing rapidly um, and you think that, you know, uh, there are some reforms that would be more useful, some reforms that would be a little bit less useful. Having an additional funder who might be able to sort of nudge reforms in the direction that you'd like to see um, is an opportunity there. Um, so then other areas that we looked at were sort of a category of what we call ambitious long shots. Um, so one of them is you know, major reform in macroeconomics, so both macroeconomic policy and macroeconomic research. Um, and the thinking there is that um, unemployment leads to just really awful outcomes for folks' well-being. Um, if you could do sort of anything to reduce the impact of recessions, um, it would be, you know, I think one of the best things you could do for the U.S. poor, also a really impactful thing for the global poor. Um, the reason it's such an ambitious long shot is that this is a problem that a lot of folks care about already. Um, and so trying to find a way to sort of, um, you know, push the needle forward on that, I think, is, is a pretty tough project, um, but also would be super impactful if you could make progress there. 
Um, another issue that we think of as sort of an ambitious long shot um, is a, a project that we funded actually CGD to do some work on, um, which is um, reducing restrictions on immigration um, from the developing world to the developed world, uh, which we also call labor mobility. Um, the idea there is that one of the best ways to reduce the poverty of the global poor that we know of is to stop preventing them to, from moving to countries where they'd have a really good opportunity for higher wages. Um, so then a, another set of areas is what we call greenfields. Um, so that includes areas where there's almost nobody working on the area at all. So um, something like having a really humanitarian case for changing zoning policy, um, which could really sort of reduce rents in U.S. cities that are having really high rent problems is one area. Occupational licensing is another area where um, even if it's not sort of as important from a humanitarian perspective as something like labor mobility might be. Um, the fact that there is almost nobody working on the issue um, means that it's possible that a little bit of funding could go a long way. Um, so I'm going to first talk a little bit about um, the work that we've done so far on criminal justice reform. Um, so in the United States, the incarceration rate is much higher than any other developed country. Um, as of several years back, uh, one in a hundred Americans were behind bars. Um, it was one in nine young black men in the United States. Um, and crime rates, which sort of increased over the course of, uh, from about the late 60s up until the 90s, had kind of leveled out in the 90s, but incarceration kept going up. Um, and so it's really hard to sort of disentangle the effect of incarceration from the effect of um, uh, crime. So figuring out are, like, did crime stop going up because of incarceration? Or should we say that the fact that crime isn't going up means that there's a problem because incarceration is still going up? But um, our take is that there's probably a way to reduce incarceration um, without having any disadvantages for public safety. Um, and so we went into the field um, to try and fund some work that was both really attentive to the problems um, and risks of increasing crime rates, um, but that also had a serious goal of reducing the number of Americans in prison. Um, and so we've funded now a few different um, organizations working on this problem, but the grant that I worked on was a grant to the Pew Public Safety Performance Project. Um, and so Pew is an organization in D.C., and their criminal justice reform project goes from state to state and provides technical assistance to states that are interested in passing a criminal justice reform bill. Um, and so I think one thing that's really interesting about that model is that a lot of states in the U.S. have very limited capacity um, to actually do policy. Um, so a lot of legislators at the state level um, it's not even their full-time job. Um, a lot of them have, you know, like one staffer or even, uh, you know, multiple legislators will share a staffer, which means that actually, even if you have the support for a policy change, actually getting it done is tough. And so Pew has actually, at least potentially, been a sort of example of one way to push a policy agenda forward, which is to say that you can sort of subsidize the legislative process by doing a lot of that analysis for a state. And so a lot of what Pew does is they will sort of make contact with a state where folks on both sides of the aisle are really interested in passing a bill. 
Um, but they don't sort of have the time to go through everything that's required to pass a good bill. So there's a ton of analysis that you'd have to do to figure out how do you reduce prisoners, prison uh, incarceration by as much as possible while also being really attentive to the effects on crime. Um, and so Pew will come in. They will give sort of a laundry list of possible policy reforms. They will do projections on how much they believe that each reform will probably um, change the incarceration rate. And they'll sort of be able to take that to the state and say, look, we, you know, working with legislators, working with the governor, um, you know, finding different options that might be, a, uh, you know, tailored to that specific state. Um, and sort of outsource a lot of that work for them. And so, so far, they've worked in about 30 states where bills were um, eventually passed. And then the really difficult question when you're looking at funding policy change like this is to think about the counterfactual. Um, so you have, um, you know, an advantage of, um, you know, funding a group that does all this analysis is that you have their analysis um, and, you know, you have their claims about, how much their bills affected incarceration. Um, on the other hand, you know, I think a principle that we've always had at GiveWell is that you're not just going to take an organization's word for it um, when they tell you, you know, how important the work that they've been doing has been. Um, and so we spent sort of a lot of time going through and comparing states that did pass these bills to states that did not pass, um, you know, that did not work with Pew. And, you know, noticed that even in states that didn't work with Pew, you still sort of see incarceration starting to tail off and sort of improvements in other states. Um, so sort of an example of how difficult it can be to do really rigorous, um, you know, analysis of organizations that are doing this type of policy change. Um, and something else that's interesting there is that in some ways this is the best case example. You have a one organization that's running a sort of similar intervention in 30 different states. Um, and so you actually can try to do sort of uh, counterfactual analysis. Um, and so it was both a really good example of how hard it can be to figure out what your impact is going to look like, um, but also an example of how you can you know, do something relatively rigorous and you can sort of um, you know, compare across states, compare across localities. And, you know, we were able to come up with a case that, um, you know, we were pretty happy with, that it looked like these bills were making a difference. Um, so from, you know, all this work that we did, um, we ended up, or I ended up at least, uh, pulling out a few lessons about how policy philanthropy differs from other types of philanthropy that we've done in the past, which was mostly, um, you know, direct services for the global poor, things like anti-malarial bed nets and um, funding deworming pills and cash transfers. Um, these are my conclusions personally, so um, other people at the Open Philanthropy Project may have a different take. Um, but, you know, I think... One take someone could have is saying, well, you know, policy philanthropy is relatively similar to funding direct services, but, um, you know, you just have more uncertainty because, you know, it's just a little bit harder. So, you, you know, do another expected value calculation. And so some differences, um, one of them is the importance to your grantees of their reputation. Um, I think that that's something that um, effective altruists are going to have to think really hard about. And that's been something that's been, um, I think, really tough for us as someone who really values transparency. Um, and so finding that way to sort of be really open about the work that your grantees are doing um, and about the sort of risks and about, you know, allies that they may have that prefer different strategies 
um, but also sensitive to the fact that one of their main assets um, is their reputation. Um, and so that's been sort of a challenge with policy philanthropy that's not you know, as present in an area like direct services where you don't really have adversaries. Um, and the sort of existence of adversaries in general um, is another thing that I think is unique to policy philanthropy and creates different challenges. Um, so if you are funding bed nets and you want to go talk to an, you know, an organization that works on bed nets and ask them what their plans are for the next few years and what they would do with additional money, um, chances are they're going to be interested in the funding. Um, chances are they're going to tell you. Um, in the world of policy philanthropy, I think building trust becomes much more important because you know, folks both have adversaries, um, and they also have allies that may just have sort of a different take on the issue. Um, so you know, there are some folks um, in the criminal justice sphere who think that um, you know, Pew came in with sort of consensus bills that they helped out with, and they think that maybe you know, more left-wing advocates would have gotten sort of even bigger bills passed. Um, and so that sort of tension that's always there both between allies and with adversaries, um, I think is like a very different phenomenon um, and requires you to sort of pay more attention both to building trust um, and also to building allies in the policy sphere. Um, I think that's another thing that effective altruists are going to have to sort of think about how to do. Um, it's really interesting in criminal justice reform how you finally started to see policy change at the moment where conservatives and liberals, um, both at the same time, conservatives, sometimes from a humanitarian and religious perspective, sometimes from a fiscal perspective, and liberals, I think, sometimes from a you know, pure like utilitarian, uh, you know, um, humanitarian perspective, sometimes from a racial justice perspective, all sort of work together to start getting um, bills changed. And so I think thinking about how effective altruists are going to create alliances with folks who, you know, may not be cause neutral, may have specific areas that they are passionate about, but where you, you happen to get a lot of overlap um, is something that's going to be like a, a sort of new challenge um, and something that's sort of really important as you start going into the policy world. Um, one other lesson is that policy change is a really scarce resource. And I think of that sometimes why you end up seeing uh, you know, laws in place that almost no reasonable person would support, but that still manage to somehow um, stay in place. Um, so floor time in Congress is a scarce resource. Um, as I talked about beforehand, legislators' time is a scarce resource. Um, legislative staff is a scarce resource. Um, so I think that there are ways to take advantage of this. Um, it's an argument for opportunism and really sort of going all in when an area that you care about um, is on the policy agenda. Um, it also means that if you can create more policy change or more capacity for policy change, that can be a big win. So Pew, by doing the analysis, you know, along with states, was able to enable states that might have wanted to be able to pass a criminal justice reform bill, but wouldn't have had the resources to do it, to put that on the agenda, and it's an extra item on the agenda. Um, the fact that policy change is a scarce resource also means, though, that there is downside risk in policy philanthropy. Um, and so I think that this isn't you know, absolutely the case, but often when you're funding direct services, the worst case scenario is something like the 
thing that you are funding does not make it to the beneficiary. Um, and in policy change, um, I think that there is sort of an opportunity to actively do harm. I think one of the areas is you could get the policy wrong. The policy could have side effects that you didn't think about ahead of time. You could not have enough input from folks who are on the ground or who are affected by the policy. Um, and it's possible that you know, the stuff that data measures looks really good, but the sort of experiential knowledge that folks on the ground might have might say something different. So there's that set of risks, but there's also a set of, the, of risks um, that are caused by the fact that policy change is scarce. Um, and so when you fund an advocacy group, they are going to be um, you know, using up some of the attention and agenda time available for that cause. Um, and so that's just always a risk is that there may have been you know, some other group out there um, or some other moment that would have been you know, the right moment for pushing on that policy change. So I think that that's something to really um, be attentive to. And then I think that um, another implication of um, policy change being a scarce resource um, is that windows of opportunity become really important. And that creates a scenario where funding both power building and sort of long-term infrastructure for policy issues can also be incredibly important. Because by the time an issue is on the agenda um, and you actually have that resource of policy change in front of you, it might be too late to set up the first think tank in a cause or the first organization that's going to be credible working on the cause. And that means that you, know, you want to really have a long-term view and you want to be thinking ahead about building long-run infrastructure. I think one thing that will be challenging there is that finding um, organizations to grant to who are 100% aligned with you um, is basically impossible because nobody is ever 100% aligned with anyone. And so if you want to invest in an organization in the really long run and you want to trust them that like when your issue ends up on the agenda, um, they're going to sort of be prepared to, to go ahead and help out. Um, I think it means giving up a little bit more sort of control over the details of the policy that you might want as a funder um, than you have to do in a case where you like you are the one deciding between bed nets and deworming pills um, or the types of decisions that you might make as a funder um, funding individual services. And so as a movement that I think has put a lot of emphasis on you know working out um, you know our ethical system and like figuring out um, you know that we're all getting behind this concept of doing the most good. Um, I think sort of figuring out how to like take a step back and think about like what it means to have allies, what it means to empower folks, even though you might not totally know what they're going to do with that power, um, is going to be a, you know, a difficulty as we start funding more stuff in the policy change arena. Um, but also, you know, learning how to do that work, I think, is a real opportunity for making some um, really leveraged uh, grants that can make a really big difference. Cool.